0: Hello, and welcome to the Intersectionality Research Hub podcast series from Concordia University. Episode three. This episode features conversations on the topic of digital memorialization, funerary practices, making meaning of loss, interventions in grieving, and representations of death as part of our series documenting the 2018 Fourth symposium of the Death Online Research Network. Luke Van Ryan is from the University of Melbourne. His work examines how the funeral industry and funeral professionals are adapting to online technologies. So Luke, tell me a little bit about the work that you do and about the funeral industry and how it relates to these TANA technologies.
1: Okay, so I'm part of a team at the University of Melbourne. Um, We are an anthropologist, a a computer scientist uh, and some media studies researchers. And and we are looking at how the funeral industry and funeral professionals are adapting, are encouraging or are dissuading um, new technologies in, in the field.
0: You particularly mentioned an iPad. Can you say a little bit about that and how it's integrated in the selling of funeral wear?
1: Yeah sure sure. So the iPad in a lot of the interviews that we did recurred again as an example of a new technology that um, the people are using as an example. So a lot of people are trying to adapt existing analog traditions to uh, to working on the iPad using developing particular apps um, and sometimes they're looking to take what is already done in analog spaces in rituals like a, like a guest register, things like that, signing in um, and looking to port them over to the iPad.
0: How do you think this is changing the experience of death or what people perceive to be death?
1: So one of the things that we're noticing is there's sometimes a bit of a lag between what people are doing and what um, funeral professionals are willing to incorporate into their services. So, there's already lots of practices of people taking photos at funerals or passing their iPad around, doing these kinds of, I guess, digital vernacular practices. Um, And... Gradually, we can see them becoming more mainstream and being taken up. So we think about like web streaming of funerals. That's something that you know may have been quite outlandish years ago, and it's becoming um, a more routine offering for funeral homes because they see that it's a way that they can help um, address families that can't make the trip, for example.
0: So do you think the funeral homes are in a crisis because they seem to link up with these technologies in different ways? I'm thinking about the obituaries and how so many funeral homes have taken it upon themselves to actually uh, help the bereaved write an obituary and disseminate it. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a discourse of an industry in crisis, I think particularly around um, direct cremation. This has been a practice of... You know, disposing of a loved one's body um, that is, you know, is becoming more prevalent, particularly um, where families um, have less income to spend on their commemoration, um, and so the funeral industry's reaction to this this developing practice has been. Um, has been a good example of this crisis. So initially, uh, particularly in the States, um, funeral professionals, funeral directors, were quite hostile to this practice and were sort of looking down on cremation as a whole. Um, and now they've seen that, uh, well, the, the, the practice of cremating bodies um, and then scattering ashes or keeping them at home in an urn, that practice isn't really going anywhere. And so they're looking for ways to... Um, show bereaved people the value that they're providing and the expertise that they have. Um, In relation to your question about obituaries, um, one of the the services that we looked at is an automated or digital obituary service um, where people's biographies can be written in a kind of procedural fashion, so looking at their birth dates um, and death dates, the places where they lived throughout their life, and then generating an obituary um, throughout, or through that process. Um, and so one of, the, one of the potential benefits we see of something like that might be that uh, it, helps, um, it helps people turn their lives into a story um, and allows the narrativizing of lives that might not otherwise be um, you know, presented as a story or mourned or so on.
0: Tell me a little bit about the atmosphere at these industry trade shows, funeral industry trade shows that you attended. Sure,
1: sure. Well, everyone's very friendly. We are something of a curiosity as academic researchers coming into a funeral industry trade show and wandering around and asking people questions, um, often very naive questions, um, about their work. So these these expos um, we've been to some in Australia, some in the UK and some in the United States um, and they're a gathering for uh, funeral directors, funeral homeowners, um, people in the industry more generally to either show off their products and services or discover what products and services are out there. Um, additionally there's often a component of, um, of education or training, uh, personal development for these professionals, where they can attend lectures and seminars about different aspects of the funeral profession. Um, so there's often excitement around new technologies, but then there's also some, uh, yeah, some concern or anxiety about where the, um, yeah, about where the profession might be heading, particularly in light of uh, developments like direct cremation, like everyone having a Facebook profile, that kind of thing.
0: Hmm. Has this doing this research has it made you think about your own mortality and how you would want to be commemorated should you die?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume that I will, uh, and it's made me a lot more careful about keeping track of the accounts that I have um, and making sure that those accounts may be retrievable in the case of my death. So, um, for example, I store everything. Through a central login uh, system, and then um, my partner can or my parents can access that. Um, in the case of in the case of my death, um, it's made yeah. So it's made me a lot more, I guess, conscientious about keeping track of where my footprint goes, and helping my family to or yeah, helping my family to potentially clean that up or organize it or curate it in the event of my passing.
0: Great, thanks so much, Luke. Really. Yeah. Dr. Elaine Casket is a visiting lecturer at Regents University in London. You have mentioned something about the laws. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes we just click, I consent. Yes. On these site, Oh, yeah. Like when, a huge percentage of us. Yeah. So that you Without, 91% of us. For sure. Because so yeah. many of the times, if you start to read the terms and conditions, yeah. they go on and on and on, yeah. and they don't really make sense.
2: Yes, and they might not even incorporate what is going to be done with your data when you're no longer alive, because corporations are not always necessarily very good at writing their terms and conditions to consider, cons- consider the you know, unavoidable eventuality that their users will die. So they're often very, very cloudy on this aspect anyway, so even if you could find them, and even if you did read them, they might not help you.
0: Right, mm-hmm. and do you, what about data mining of the dead?
2: Uh, it's very tricky because again, you know, the, the data of the dead are so hyper-personal, they're not just personal data online, much of it is hyper-personal, it's very comprehensive, and this is the reason we're starting to think about whether the dead should be considered as having ongoing privacy protections or ongoing data protections of their own. And I think that when you data mine and sort of take ownership of the kind of, it's, it's more than just data, it's digital identities, and so you're doing something that at least morally and ethically, if not legally yet, is quite questionable. So do you have any advice for researchers working in this area? Oh my gosh, researchers working in this area should really reach out to corporations and businesses and organizations who desperately need their help. They need to take it out of the lofty academic sphere and really get down to it on a practical level and interact with the, the organizations that can really use their thoughtful, considered you know, theories and advice uh, based on what they're studying. Um, and I would also advise them to be really multidisciplinary and and curious and always consider the pragmatics and the practicalities in terms of the legal realities of the situations, the technical realities of the situations. Don't be too pie in the sky, don't be too far up in your head or abstracted with your theories because we're dealing with very sticky realities. So really make sure that you know what you're talking about on the ground and then what you have to offer is going to be far more useful to the people that it can be useful to.
0: Elaine Casket is also the author of a new book entitled All the Ghosts in the Machine, Illusions of Immortality in the Digital Age. Elaine, can you tell us a little bit about the book, but also how you used a narrative arc to address all of these issues?
2: Absolutely. Well, I ended up using quite a personal narrative arc, which I'm not used to doing, as an academic, but I was realizing that I really needed to use something of my own story and my family's story to be a way of connecting with general readership. And so that was part of the leap from writing something more academically to writing something more for public consumption, a story about a family that people could easily relate to, but also kind of a non-digital story story that could be used as a platform against which the digital aspects, the digital themes could be cast into sharper relief. And so I use that kind of thread of my family as a narrative arc through uh, as a way of pulling the audience in and kind of keeping them going throughout. But all along the way, I'm looking at all sorts of different aspects of death in the digital that I haven't had the opportunity to delve into in depth in any of the things I've done before. So there's things about privacy, uh, there's things about um, terms and conditions that the corporations that control our data hold us to uh, in life and in death, as it turns out. Uh, It's about the kind of changing idea of the dead as potentially having rights, rights to have their data protected, uh, rights to have their data private. Um, it's uh, There's chapters on whether the anatomy of online grief is different than offline, analog-era grief, if there are any new uh, wrinkles to that or le- levels to that, which there are, mostly having to do with access and control uh, being really big issues. And there's stuff about the different kinds of digital impactful, digitally impactful digital legacies, both those that kind of act dead and those that act alive, and the ambiguity, the ghosts that we encounter online when we don't know whether we're encountering the data of the dead or the data of the living, which is increasingly something that's going on a lot. I know that's a long answer, but that's what no, the book's about. No, that's me. Yeah,
0: that's mm. perfect. Great. So after having completed this book, do you yeah. have any advice in terms of anybody else um, of the kinds of issues they should be mindful of? Or uh, as they're treading through this digital <laughs> kind of technologies, mm. how do we navigate our ways in a way that's ethical, moral, Mm. and principled
2: well for researchers or for people in general people in general I think that people in general I think that this you know being aware of the the fact that you are eventually going to die and that everybody is eventually going to die it makes it uh, using death in the digital as a lens you can really be much more mindful and much more aware of what's important and the choices that you're making for how you live now And so sometimes we just do things in this very kind of carefree way, feeling like it doesn't matter. And in this sphere, it actually could matter quite significantly in terms of how you're remembered, who remembers you, even selections of privacy settings or what you allow to have happen, you know, with privacy settings on your social media profile. Those could be really, really consequential in whether your spouse or your children or whatever can access the things that you might want them to access in terms of your digital legacy. You know, and make your wishes known, you know, in in any estate planning that you do, And of course a lot of us don't do estate planning or leave it until very late. But for those who do get up to speed on estate planning, don't forget to include considerations of digital things within that, your digital life within that. There are resources out there to help people like the Digital Legacy Association in the UK and other kinds of organizations to help clarify things for you, you know, but, you know, always, always include that. Even if it's not yet legally executable, these materials that we're talking about, at the very least, you can let it be known what you would like done with that information, which the vast majority of people do not do.
0: Thanks so much. Yes. Intersectionality is a term coined by black feminist, legal theorist, Kimberly Crenshaw to explain how people at the intersection of different, marginalized identities are invisibilized, ignored, and or subjugated by power.
2: The Intersectionality Research Hub is a project headed by Professor Yasmin Diwani with financing by Concordia University. You can find more information on Facebook or at intersectionalityhub.ca or by coming to visit us in person at Concordia.